In this week's episode of Farmer's Inside Track, Hydroponics 101, a guide for beginners. Put simply, hydroponics is a way to skip the soil, sub in a different material to support the roots of the plant, and grow crops directly in nutrient-rich water. Cool, right? Usman Lavan, a Nigerian farmer and founder of Usafer Agro Allied, a farm focused on practicing and promoting zero waste agriculture, joins us to unpack why he thinks the future of farming is not farming. He debunks some of the most strongly held myths and practices about the food production industry in Nigeria. Farmers chose Start With Why. How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action by Simon Sinek as their book of the week. In 2009, Simon started a movement to help people become more inspired at work and in turn inspire their colleagues and customers. Now, as we continue to put out all efforts into the fight against COVID-19 to save lives and the South African economy, we can't ignore a second epidemic that is threatening half a million jobs in the beef industry. And that is, of course, bovine brucellosis. Now, bovine brucellosis is transmittable to humans and can cause infertility, reduced milk production, miscarriage or birth, complications and weak joints. We are joined by economist Lunati Lakanyane, who argues that we need to be vaccinating for bovine brucellosis as well. And Eastern Cape grain farmer Sinilizwe Fakade gives us the 101 about building retailer and supplier relationships. This is Farmers Inside Track, supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey Mzanzi, welcome to episode 65 of Food for Mzanzi's weekly podcast called Farmers Inside Track. I'm your host, Dawn Numdu, and it's great to be back with another fully loaded episode. And I'm Duncan Masua, and Dawn, it is great to be back, but you know what? I'm always so amazed by how dynamic our agricultural sector is. I mean, from farming on the moon to floating dairy cows in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. I mean, what is next? Yes, for sure, Duncan. And this week, we're talking all things hydroponics. Journalist Donna van Eden chats to Cryofontaine hydroponics farmer Byron Boyson about everything you need to know to set up your very own hydroponics farm. Hey Dawn and Duncan, it is so great to join you again. I'm sure many of our farmers have heard a lot of people talking about hydroponics lately as being one of the farming methods of the future. According to Environment News South Africa, our freshwater supplies are diminishing. And with our population growth trends, it is important that we minimize water use where possible, while still improving growth and crop yields. Byron Boyson, award-winning hydroponics farmer, joins me today to unpack why hydroponics farming is seen as such a great alternative to traditional farming methods. So, Byron, what got you into hydroponics? How did you stumble upon it? And what made you choose that over more traditional farming practices? The reason for me using hydroponics as a form of farming is the fact that I do not need a lot of space to be able to have a higher yield and great quality vegetables. Having not going with traditional farming is the fact that it makes me more economically viable using the hydroponic system. The, the infrastructure I use is in greenhouses. So obviously the initial startup capital is high, but the fact that you 
using less space, you can also cultivate your crop vertically, which is also a very interesting and, and prospect why I went with hydroponics in this regard. So tell us, how does hydroponic farming work in basic terms? Hydroponics in basic terms is you using a medium other than soil to locate your roots or your establishment of your roots of your plant. Uh, then also using a form of drip irrigation or water system that replaces the nutrients that you'd normally get from the soil. This is either being done by using synthetic um, fertilizer, organic fertilizer, or any other means where the nutrition is available for plant to succeed with its growth at optimal conditions. And what are some of the advantages and disadvantages to hydroponic farming? I would say for advantages is that you can have higher yield in a smaller space, you have good quality produce, and it is something that you can do anywhere. Hydroponic farming does not need a specific soil type, it doesn't need specific environment, it just needs to have a manipulative state of perfect in, um, environmental factors for the plant to succeed, which you are in control of. The disadvantages of hydroponic is having control of that environmental aspects puts a lot of strain on your routine towards a lot of discipline, towards hygiene, towards your fertilization plan, the health of your plant, and all the factors that makes it happy. So you not succeeding in any one of them can result in a disastrous yield or all your plants failing. So the fact that you are in control is also something that can be a disadvantage because nature doesn't come in and save you, saves you by means of rain or anything else like the sun's sun or natural elements in the soil. You are all at the mercy of your own discipline. And that puts a lot of strain on the hydroponic farming, but it also makes it very attractive in terms of the advantages because you can have a product or a crop that can sell somewhere or you can produce it somewhere where it's not necessarily cultivated in a normal environment. And lastly, what are some of the lessons you have learned during your time farming in hydroponics that you can share for those who are starting out? Do you have any tips and advice for any future hydroponic farmers? Starting out your hydroponic enterprise or farming project or maybe even looking at going in the commercial side of it, I would say it's important to establish your market. It's not a very specific market, but you need to make sure that you have a set of point for your high yielding produce. I think when you start small, it's perhaps a better strategy because it teaches you the ropes around the basics of the hydroponic setup and also gives you the confidence to produce what you need to do, especially if you have a high investment and high capital output that you are establishing and you not necessarily all the experience or you're going through your first season. When starting out, I think it's important to get started in your backyard or in a smaller environment where you can see your method and your system that you are using, especially acknowledging the fact that there are always microclimates and you can be 100 meters from another farm or another garden or just a little step away in your own garden, then there's different environmental factors that can play a role with the success of your project. Even if you look at humidity in a tunnel or light intensity or what time the sun comes up, 
all those factors can play a role in what type of production you're looking at. And then we should not forget that hydroponics does not mean that everything is outside or inside. There are different infrastructural things you can add to help your hydroponic system of farming. If you are, for example, in the Karoo where it's cold or if you are up north where it's warmer or even here in the Western Cape where I am where you have winter rains. So you have to consider different things and also your crop type that you are planting. And all of these other factors have a influence in what you would regard as your market strategy. So working backwards and thinking, what does my market want? And then try to see how you can use hydroponics to perhaps manipulate the production of your plant to see how you can add value to that and also cash in with the fact that you have a type of technology which can be used in any season, especially to cultivate crops that are not in season in your area. That could give you a strategic advantage in that scenario. Thanks, Donna. Next up, Nigerian farmer and founder of Usaifa Agro Allied, a farm focused on practicing and promoting zero-waste agriculture, Usman Lavan, unpacks why he thinks the future of farming is not farming. In a TED Talk, he debunks some of the most strongly held myths and practices about the food production industry in Nigeria. Do you know that... Over 80 million Nigerians make a living through agriculture. Staggering number, right? About 50% of the Nigerian population. But despite our huge involvement in agriculture, Nigeria spends about $6.8 billion annually importing food. Compare these numbers, for instance, with the US. Depending on which statistics you take, only between 3 and 5% of the population are into agriculture yet they make billions exporting agricultural produce. Obviously, there is no shortage of manpower or even the willingness to earn a decent living amongst our rural farmers. However, the agricultural system in Nigeria is marred by several challenges. Chief among them is agricultural financing. So, is it that the financial institutions do not understand agricultural financing or they are risk-averse and will not invest because of the risk involved, or because they have better alternatives to make money from. And because rural farmers cannot have access to financing, they remain... My slides? So they remain rural farmers forever. Secondly, because they can't afford finance or they can't uh, find access to finance, then they cannot afford machineries or improved seedlings to make farming better for Nigeria and in Nigeria. And that takes us to the next problem, the lack of farm extension services in Nigeria. There is actually one farm extension worker to 10,000 rural farmers in Nigeria. The ideal proportion is one extension worker to 100 farmers. So you tell me, how do you manage that? The fourth biggest problem for us in this country is that despite the number and the level of production, depending on what crop and what numbers you take, we lose between 40% to up to 70% of what is produced in Nigeria to post-harvest losses. The roads are bad, logistics is near zero, and you can continue to name the problems. So. TEDx asked me, what now? We need a strong paradigm shift 
from business as usual. We might not realize this, but there is a looming crisis that is about to hit the world, and by extension, Nigeria, and everywhere else. So the statistic says that by 2050, our numbers, our population will hit 350 million. If we continue to produce food at the rate that we're producing today, we are going to starve by the year 2050. Because only those who can afford it will buy very expensive food, sometimes end up with rubber rice and rubber fish. The rest of us will probably have to rob them to take their food. There can never be national security without food security. And this is the kind of thinking that makes me left the bank, left the oil sector, and move into agriculture somewhat of an outsider. So our next baby, which ironically I'm only unveiling today at the third event, is the Farmer in Suit. It's an investment solution that provides professionals, even rich students, sometimes we have them, bankers or ex-bankers or excellencies, who have resources and understand the problem of global food security and want to invest and help in fighting this monster, but either do not have the time or do not have the knowledge to be farmers. Or maybe they just don't want to get dirty. So say, look, we give you a guarantee on your money and a guarantee on a profit. Give us that money. We are going to invest it in the rural farmers by way of providing them with training, providing them with farming food, mechanization, improved seedlings, and we also provide a market for their products. So at the end of it, we buy up all the grains that they produce, put it in the feed mill, we make animal feed, give it to our animals, our poultry and our fish. When they are up to market size, what do we do? We process them and package them and send them to Abuja and Lagos and our farmer in suits buy them. Thanks for joining us, Nigerian farmer and founder of Yusafa Agro Allied, Usman Lawan. Next up, as we continue to put all our efforts into the fight against COVID-19 to save lives and the South African economy, we can't ignore a second epidemic that is threatening half a million jobs in the beef industry. Economist Lunati Tlakanyane argues that we need to be vaccinating for bovine brucellosis too. The agri-tech and economics blogger believes it's critically imperative that the COVID-19 vaccination drive is administered in parallel to a nationwide vaccination drive to reduce the spread of B abortus in cattle. Lunati, in recent months, we've seen a number of outbreaks of the zoonotic disease bovine brucellosis spread across the coastal region of KwaZulu-Natal, with the initial confirmed cases totaling over 400 cows. What does this disease do exactly, and how has it affected Mzanzi's beef industry? Well, in simple terms, brucellosis is an integrant of the genus Brucellaceae, and within the bacteria family of Brucellaceae is Brucella abortus, or quite simply B. abortus, which is an infectious pathogen that affects both cattle and humans. As the name suggests, Brucella abortus causes abortion in pregnant cows and may increase the probability of miscarriage in humans. The disease is also linked to massive reductions in milk production, as well as a general lower reproduction rate amongst cattle. As a zoonotic infection, the main vectors of brucellosis are direct contact with infected animals' biological fluids like blood, placenta, urine, etc., as well as unpasteurized or raw dairy products. 
As with COVID-19, the disease causes fever-like symptoms including flu, weakness, loss of appetite, as well as weight loss. The incubation period before the first symptoms appear is between 4 to 8 weeks and contagion is extremely high amongst livestock workers, hunters, veterinarians, as well as other people who come into direct contact with free-range animals. Luckily, evidence of human-to-human transmission is extremely rare, but the disease does continue to remain extremely infectious. Now you argue that it's critically imperative that the COVID-19 vaccination drive is administered in parallel to a nationwide vaccination drive to reduce the spread of B abortus in cattle. Why are you pushing so hard for this? Well, besides being a massive public health risk, the disease could severely impact margins in the multi-billion rand beef value chain. It could disrupt retail beef prices and further diminish SA's competitiveness in international trade, as we saw with the temporary ban of local beef exports in the wake of the foot and mouth disease outbreak. In addition to this, there's about half a million people who are directly employed in the beef industry and a further 2.1 million who depend on it for their livelihoods. So the emergence of brucellosis casts a very dark cloud over them. And in closing, what are some of the long-term impacts if this is not addressed now? Well, currently, roughly about 10% of SA's dairy cattle become infected with brucellosis annually, which of course results in millions of rand losses from lost beef sales. In the long term, these sales losses could potentially lower the contribution of beef production to gross value of agricultural production, which could subsequently lower the contribution of agriculture to national GDP. And of course, beside the economic impact, the outbreak of brucellosis is a huge food security risk as it compromises nutritious food access for the millions of South Africans who derive their protein intake from beef consumption. Thanks for joining us, economist Lunati Lakanyane. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. It's yummy. It's good for you. And the whole family loves it. It's grain-filled chickens, proudly South African and mouth-wateringly delicious. Discover a world of tasty goodness and visit Grain-Filled Chickens for CO.ZA or like our Facebook page for more. Grain-Filled Chickens, a proud member of VKB. VKB, for the love of the land. This is Farmers Inside Track, proudly brought to you by Food for Mzanzi. Now, this week, farmers have selected a book titled Start With Why, How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action by Simon Sinek. In 2009, Simon started a movement to help people become more inspired at work and in turn inspire their colleagues and customers. Since then, millions have been touched by the power of his ideas, including more than 28 million who've watched his TED Talk based on Start With Why and is now the third most popular TED video of all time. The why was born out of pain. It was never an academic or commercial exercise. It was born out of a time in my life many years ago, 10 years ago, where I had lost my passion for what I was doing. I owned my own small business. I was living the American dream. Superficially, my life was fantastic. And yet, I didn't want to wake up and do it again. And I was embarrassed by that. You know, who am I to complain about my life? My life seemed perfect, and yet I hated it. And so I kept it to myself. Every ounce of my being, all the energy that I had was invested in pretending that I was happier, more successful, and more in control than I felt. And it was debilitating, quite frankly. 
Strange things start to happen when you put yourself in that cycle and the stress starts to build. You start to become paranoid. So for example, I was convinced that my employees hated me. I didn't go out much and it was really a bad time. And it wasn't until a friend of mine came to me concerned that I wasn't acting myself and basically offered me nothing more than moral support. Whatever you need, I got your back, I'm worried about you. And it was that simple act that gave me the courage to face my own problem. And it was that simple act that gave me the courage to seek out a solution, to go back to the way I used to feel, to be passionate about something again. There was a confluence of events. And I made this discovery that every single organization on the planet, even our own careers, always function on the same three levels. What we do, how we do it, and why we do it. And it was based on the biology of human decision-making. It wasn't some highfalutin management theory. It was based on brain stuff. And I realized I knew what I did and was good at it. And I knew how I did it. I could tell you what was different or special about the way I did things, but I couldn't tell you why I was doing it. That was the missing piece. You have to have all three. I became obsessed with this thing called the why. I figured out how to find my why and it restored my passion to levels I had never experienced before. And more importantly, I figured out how to help others find theirs. And I did what anyone would do. When you discover something beautiful, you share it with your friends. And my friends started making crazy life changes themselves. And they started finding happiness and passion that they'd never experienced before. It was me solving my own problem that happened to help others solve it for them too. And people just kept inviting me and I just kept saying yes. I was making huge decisions that were really easy to make. Like I shut down my office and started over again because I realized the business I had built was so inconsistent with my why. All my friends thought I went out of business and they were worried about me. It was the easiest decision I ever made. In other words, when you know your why, the filter is clear. It's not like there are options. The option is obvious. There's only one option. Share, give, inspire. And everything that I've achieved, any success that I've enjoyed, has all been 100% because of the gracious, just amazing generosity of people around me. My friends, my colleagues, people who just believe what I believe, they're the ones who either introduced me to others or took a risk or said, let me try that, or bought a book or watched a TED talk, or more importantly, sent it to somebody else because they would be inspired by it. For all of the th things that I've done over the past decade, I still feel like I'm at the beginning. I have been saying it for 10 years, when everybody says to me, you know, congratulations on X, Y, or Z, my answer is always the same, tip of the iceberg. And I think that's what keeps me inspired, which is, for me, it's a journey. I'm on the right path. I'm walking past the right mile markers. In other words, I know I'm making progress to the vision that I have to build this world in which the vast majority of people wake up every single morning, inspired to go to work, feel safe when they're there, returning home at the end of the day, fulfilled by the work that they do. When I started the race, I ran by myself. And it's lonely, lonely, lonely. And now I got like a, I got like a thousand people to the left and a thousand people to the right, and a thousand people behind me. And I look around, I'm like, yep, we're gonna change the world. We're gonna change the world. Definitely sounds like a must read, Duncan. And I can't wait to get my hands on a copy of that book. Now, you can also email any book suggestions you have to info at foodformzanzi.co.za. Next up, agricultural drone pilot Zipe Zintle Gubuza, better known as Boy Z, now joins us to talk about a new app he developed called Farm Care. The app aims to assist new farmers keep record of all their farm management practices and so much more. Over to you, Boy Z. 
Last day I was working on a project, an emerging farmers project with Sadnik, where we were helping emerging farmers become commercial farmers. So while working on the project, I got exposed to many challenges that emerging farmers face on a daily basis. The biggest one being the lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge in terms of they don't know which market gives them the best prices for their produce. Lack of knowledge on their farming records because everything is scattered at the same time. So I've come up with a modern way to help farmers keep records of all their management practices and also to know what's happening out there in the market. So I've developed an app called FarmCare. FarmCare is an app that compromises of all the essential farm pillars being farm finances, farm human resource management, farm asset management, farm livestock and crop management and disease alert and tracking, AI prediction, weight gain, disease prediction and animal health. On the app, the farmers can upload all their records and the system simplifies their record and helps them predict animal and crop gold or the prices on the market whenever there's a disease that's gonna take over like whenever like like brucellosis or something like that there's no agricultural app like this on the market so yeah i think it's quite exciting because i've teamed up with a, a computer vision specialist and um, ai artificial intelligence specialist life in south africa can be a lot i mean scroll through twitter for a minute and tell me i'm wrong Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. Remember to stay tuned for our chat with Eastern Cape grain farmer Sinilizwi Fakade who gives us the 101 about building retailer and supplier relationships. But on a lighter note, home cook and microblogger Shaista Kam shares her secret ingredient to whipping up the perfect Mzanzi home-cooked meal. For me, the best ingredient for the best South African meal would definitely be garlic. Yes, I know garlic can be quite expensive and given the current climate in South Africa, I 100% understand that some people don't want to buy whole cloves of garlic, but garlic powder is just as good and the best part about garlic powder is that it does not burn. So people, you won't have that bitter, nasty taste in your food. So trust me when I say garlic is the way to go. Thanks so much for joining us, Saista Come home cook and microblogger. Be sure to check out her recipe and interview on foodformzanzi.co.za. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. Right through all departments and companies within the VKB Group, we know that farming is not just a job, it's a way of life. Let VKB help you in all aspects of the food value chain by efficiently reducing costs and optimizing value. Follow VKB on Facebook or vkb.co.za to find out how VKB can help you. VKB, for the love of the land. We've just about reached the end of this week's Farmers Inside Track episode. But before we let you go, Eastern Cape grain farmer Cindy Lisby Fakade is here to give us the 101 about building retailer and supplier relationships. It's an achievement to get a, a contract or an off-track agreement signed with one of your big retailers. 
But I also do believe as well it, it must be absorbed or appreciated within reason by the farmer. And that's obviously linked with, can I support this contract? What are the price negotiations for it? Because a lot of the technicalities within the contract is where I think a lot of farmers come short. The way that these contracts sometimes are structured, you would find that there's technicalities that are important to review, such as price, quality of product agreed upon. It's a step in the right direction, and significantly so if you get a signed offtake. It gives you confidence to obviously secure or produce towards that contract, which is encouraging because you really know that you have an offtake and and obviously there's obligations that you need to meet. But in my assessment, those finer details, and that's why it's important that for me, a farmer, once that has been approved and accepted, they take the time to go and get it reviewed by someone who understands that kind of work, by someone who's in that field, by someone who's a quality controller, for the lack of a better word, someone who understands what that offtake means, so that the farmer doesn't find himself negotiating price or accepting price middle of the contract when things change or spa goes and says well in the finer details on page six you didn't read clause number six and five those things are important to smallholder farmers for them to be able to successfully and sustainably establish themselves as producers for such contracts i do believe however that it's important that that kind of a thing is happening if it is happening good and well if it's not happening well there's problems because it simply can't be that you are preventing new entrant producers from accessing the market yes you never buy experience yes you may not be able to achieve wonderful standards from the word go but just like any other business that was afforded the opportunity the same opportunities need to be afforded to the current or the new entrances which are smallholders so i think the relations need to be kept very important And obviously, like I say, you know, it's important that we as farmers, when we're signing these documents, when we're getting the approval of such documents, we are given two or three or five days where we are allowed to give this document to someone we know understands. Or if we don't know anyone who understands, we take the liberty to find out who such a contract can be taken to for review. Because I myself as a farmer, prime example me, I've, in my three years or four years, trying this game of commercialization out, I've signed some pieces of paper where once I got the time to reflect, you know, obviously at that moment, you're so excited to get the deal and get the transfer done. But when you take the time to look at the document and you look at how things are structured, you get more questions than answers. So you can't trust the instinct of a businessman on the other side of the table. That's how I always say myself. You can only have that kind of a trust when you've had the road or you've walked the road with that particular individual and even then within reason so i would say that's my opinion we have to be able to get these contracts it's a good direction it's a good initiative but we mustn't be people that are accepting the crumbs at the end of the day and it's that crumb acceptance that needs to be nullified by making sure that the contract makes sense to both parties but also making sure that it doesn't have sharp corners right in the middle of production i think that's my opinion and Eastern Cape Grain Farmer Zinilizwe Fakadi's Farmer Tip of the Week brings us to the end of this week's Farmer's Inside Track, proudly brought to you by Food Foodform Zanzi. For daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists to go above and beyond to feed South Africa, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. 
Now remember if you love this podcast please rate it and share it with your friends family members and fellow farmers The Farmers Inside Track is available for free on Spotify Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and of course not forgetting foodformzanzi.co.za From me Donumdu Duncan Masiwa and the rest of the Food from Zanzi team have a great week and please let's continue to keep each other safe during the COVID-19 pandemic You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast, supported by Food Form Zanzi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.